nearly here, which is kind of terrifying. I feel like two minutes ago we got out of lockdown and then like time started going in ultimate fast forward speed. It's actually been insane. Um, so when I got asked to preach, I went home and I was like, oh, how will I start? What will I do? Um, you know, I could tell a story. I could tell a joke. The thing that's all the rage at the moment, I, it happens every week, I feel, but there's a certain person who just always gets picked on. I don't... <laughs> you! Sorry, what was your name? <laughs> Daniel? Daniel, nice to meet you. Don't worry, I'm not actually, actually going to make fun of Dan today because as many stories as I have about him, he has that many about me and I don't want to start a war. I can't finish. <laughs> so I have mercy today. Um, but because we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about gifts, I thought I'd tell you about some of the gifts that our family has tried to give or some of our experiences in that arena. Um, one year, obviously I think uh, this might be the way with your family as well, but mum is largely the backbone of Christmas. She does the cooking, she organises the presents. You know, it's always a good time uh, Christmas morning when dad is just as surprised as to what you're getting as you are. Um, <laughs> she knows where we're supposed to be and when we're supposed to be there. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's fair, but one year, I don't know if you've read um, the book about, you know, the Grinch who stole Christmas, but one year mum cancelled Christmas because <laughs> it can be a bit of a stressful time. So she decided this year we're skipping it. We actually went away to New Zealand as a family for almost the whole like month leading up to Christmas. So we got back on Christmas Eve and, you know, we weren't going to do the whole extended family thing that year. We were just going to take it easy. Our present had been going to New Zealand because that was amazing. Um, but we got back on Christmas Eve and mum decided, actually, I'd kind of like to see the whole family. So we re-invited ourselves to everything and we rocked up. And honestly, it's the way to go because it's all organised already. Who's giving what is done, the food is done, you just get to reap the benefits. So there's a hot tip for your Christmas. Say you're not coming and then at the last moment rock up. That's, it's the way to go. But another year as well, mum, mum did try and delegate a little bit so she'd have a little less on her plate and she told dad he had to buy the present for our younger cousin Flynn. Um, and he somewhat forgot about this responsibility until 11.30 Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> And came in and said to mum, so what do we get Flynn? Um, and she said, well, I don't know, because that was, that was your job. <laughs> so at 11.45, Aaron, myself, dad, rocked up at the 24-hour Kmart. You literally wouldn't believe the length of the line. Like, the amount of people who leave it till 15 minutes before the day of Christmas is insane. But we did it, we got it, and Flynn loved his present. Um, but I don't know about you, but present, pres yeah, yes, dad. <laughs> um... But I find Christmas present buying pretty stressful. I think buying presents is stressful in and of itself anyway. I just am like, oh, I want this person to know how much I love them, how well I know them. I want it to be sentimental, but they'll use it. They wouldn't buy it for themselves, but it'll be functional and it doesn't break my uni student budget. Um, and all of that is kind of a tricky balance to strike. But today we're going to talk about someone else's gift-giving skills, and that is the three wise men. So at the moment we're doing a series called Gifts of Destiny. And we've got the verse, Matthew 2, 10 to 11, which is up on the screen. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So, two weeks ago, we had Chanel talking about gold, which is a gift fit for a king. It recognised that... It was Jesus, king of the world, who'd come down and we would be able to share in his inheritance as his followers. 
Then last week, Pastor Charles talked about frankincense and how that's a symbol of worship and that living a life of worship is about recognising our dependence on God and living a life of complete submission and obedience. And I really love how God uses symbolism in the Bible. If we look at the next slide, um, symbolism is everywhere. We've just taken part in communion and we talk about the bread and the wine representing Jesus' broken body and his blood shed for us. And I think symbolism is so beautiful and powerful because it reveals unseen spiritual realities in a visible form. I love that picture. If you've got that little staircase, like, you know, these elements, they're physical, they're tangible, but they're a little insight into the realities of eternity and they speak volumes to us. We've got so many symbols in the Bible. We've got communion, we've got marriage, which is like Christ and the church. We've got the dove that represents peace and the Holy Spirit, rainbow that speaks to us of God's promise of protection. And then we come to myrrh. So myrrh is actually a valuable spice or perfume um, that was often used in Jesus' time. And what it symbolised was actually embalming or a symbol of suffering. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the video of the little kid who unwraps his Christmas Day present and he pulls it out. He's like, it's an avocado. Thanks. <laughs> but if I were Mary and I was getting these gifts, I'd be like, gold, yes. Frankincense could do, babies smell bad sometimes. And then I'd pull out myrrh and I'd say, it's a symbol of suffering and death for my newborn baby, <laughs> thanks. Like, I don't want that, not for my child. But Jesus is not any other baby. There was prophecies written about Jesus for so long and we see myrrh is actually really poignant throughout Jesus' life. Up on the screen you can see three points. So at his birth where it's given to him by the three kings and then at his death on the cross in Mark 15, 23 it says, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh but he did not take it. And that was something offered on the cross. It's kind of like a mild form of pain medication really um, to dull your senses a bit and Jesus refused it on the cross. And myrrh is a pretty bitter drink. I imagine it probably tastes like um, what communion at the moment is like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, the, the pains of COVID. Um, no, it's all right. Um, and then we also see it at his burial. So in John 19, 38 to 40, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a pilot of, uh, <laughs> Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So in light of all of this, there are three things I'm hoping to touch on today, which are on the next slide. Um, I want to talk about how we enter into other people's suffering in a way that brings the hope and love of Christ how we exist in our own suffering in a way that glorifies God and relies on the strength and comfort he gives to us, and also how the suffering of Christ changes everything for us. That colours how we enter into people's suffering, how we exist in our own, because Christ's suffering is the thing that actually defines our whole lives. Christ on the cross changed everything for us. So why I talk about suffering at Christmas time? It seems a little bit like a clash with what Christmas is about. Um, for a little bit of context, I've just finished my uni degree. Yes, finally. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> um, and I, this past semester, I've done two placements. So I've spent the month of November at the Royal Children's Hospital. And there I was working on the oncology ward with kids with cancer and also a ward with kids who'd had 
brain and spinal surgeries. Um, and the placement before that, I was actually at a palliative care hospital. So I was interacting with people like a four-year-old who has months to live and an elderly man who was grappling with what it meant to die soon and still struggling with the death of his own son 10 years prior and little kids who don't understand why they're in hospital and older kids who are just trying to smile through the fact that they're going through chemo. So I think, you know, we've all probably seen or witnessed and experienced ourselves pain and suffering this past year. Um, it doesn't have to be in the hospital setting. It might have been in isolation. It might have been mental illness, physical illness, financial struggles, faith crises, relationship breakdowns. I don't think I'm alone in having witnessed some people go through precious and really hard moments of grief and maybe that's been you yourself. So maybe Christmas is coming like a welcome respite to you after what we've collectively and individually endured the last two years. Or maybe the flashiness, flashiness of it feels a little bit garish in light of the not-so-sweet reality of your life right now. Either way, the truth of Christmas and the King of all welcomes you. He is the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God and Everlasting Father, who you need to be embraced by. He comforts you. He amplifies joy. He binds up your wounds himself. It's okay if you're coming to Christmas and you're saying, I love Christmas, but how we celebrate it just feels a little bit meaningless in the face of reality right now. I think that's more than fair. And I think Christmas seems really romanticised to the extent that those who are going through a rough time can feel that even more so because they're looking around and they're supposed to, you know, it's about family, it's about joy, it's really happy and shiny and beautiful and bright. And maybe the thing they're feeling most is the empty spot at the table where someone used to sit or they don't have a safe space to call home for Christmas or they're feeling the lack of support from their loved ones or they're dealing with their own health crisis. If this is you, I just... I just, my heart goes out to you because it's such a hard time to feel that way and experience that stuff. And you don't need to compare your pain to the person sitting next to you because that's not really productive, is it? Like, it doesn't allow God to step into that if you're saying, oh, no, you know, it's not that big a deal. Christ cares for you and your pain no matter what it looks like or what form it takes. I think corny platitudes really roll in at a faster pace at Christmas time as well. Um, things that we say to be comforting but actually kind of uh, sold on the wound almost um, and I don't think we know as people generally what to say to people who are grieving or suffering but I think it's worth learning what to say and knowing what to say because that's a really powerful thing so I'm going to talk about a few practical things that we can do but first I just want to say that we have sanitized Christmas a lot and I've got a picture up on the next slide um, it might you know s oh I don't know if we've got the next slide coming up Marcus <laughs> sorry <laughs> there we go um, so it might be a little bit of a funny picture to you, or it might be a little bit confronting, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus was a baby and someone had to wipe his butt. <laughs> That's how humble our saviour is, is that he came in the form of a child who was helpless. I think we, we really sanitised Christmas. We, you know, we love the lights and the shows and the music, but the first Christmas was not a put-together thing. It wasn't pretty from the outside. It was Christ stepping into the messiness of this world. He didn't even step into it. He was birthed into it. And I think birth is beautiful, but it's pretty messy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's really messy. It's not sanitised, especially not when it happens in a stable. And I think holy and messy is probably a really good way to describe what it is for heaven to meet humanity. Holy and messy. I think it's really important to remember that Christ does not demand you to have sanitised your life so that you can come to him. It is the exact opposite. He will cleanse you. 
he washes our feet. We see Jesus wash his disciples' feet. And I think that's such a beautiful picture, not only of his death, but his birth. He comes, the king of all, he comes as a humble servant to give his life. He comes as a baby, needing help from people. And then on the cross, he dies and he deals with our dirt again. Finally, it is finished on the cross. So I think God also calls us to deal with the messiness in our own lives and in the lives of others, which is what I want to talk about first. So I want to talk about the suffering of others. And I've got a little picture here as well. Um, maybe, this, maybe this is you. Maybe you're someone's pickup truck <laughs> at the moment. Um, and maybe you're the one that usually you're helping others and you need a little bit of help at the moment. Um, there's a couple of resources I've been looking at this year. I've had a couple of friends dealing with mental and physical losses and illness and um, a friend who unexpectedly lost a parent and it's really hard to know what to do or say. Um, and there's a website called What's Your Grief that I really recommend. It has resources for if you're grieving and also if you're supporting someone. Um, and it has things like lists of 64 things to not say and 64 things to say and a billion other things that are really helpful. And I've also been reading a book by Nancy Guthrie called What Grieving People Wish You Knew. So I want to tell you some of the things um, and maybe it can be helpful even if you're not um, supporting someone right now. Maybe you will be in the future. Maybe not this Christmas but next. Um, so some things that are good to avoid saying is anything that starts with the words, well, at least, because there's nothing that softens pain. It just really invalidates someone's pain to say, well, at least this, at least that, at least you could have another kid, at least you could be remarried, at least, you know, tomorrow's a new day. That's really just a wedge straight in the heart and it's not helpful. Um, saying things like, I know how you feel or comparing circumstances also isn't really helpful because each person's loss is their own. Don't make it about you and don't be scared off by tears. Don't feel the need to fix it. Just be present with people. Some things to do is talk about the loved one, say them by name if they've lost somebody, share memories that you might have of that person. Recognise the depth of their pain and make space and time for people to grieve in the way they need to, however that looks for them. Around Christmas time, there was, there's a couple of articles about what you can do at Christmas time to commemorate someone who's lost that you could um, join with someone in doing, and I thought they were really beautiful. There's one like creating a grief ornament where you have a see-through bauble and you put in little strips of paper with memories written down about the person that's no longer with you. Um, you can have a memory tablecloth where you write down memories that you shared. You can make a dish that that person loved to eat. You can light a candle or take a moment of silence or just focus on creating new traditions because holiday seasons look different after loss and that's the way it is. And there's also suffering outside of the grief space as well. I think it's really important at the moment to check in on one another in terms of mental health. Um, especially at Christmas because it's a stressful time and there's often a need or the feeling of a need to put on a really happy face because it's such a happy season. So I think now is a good time to be checking in with people too. Financial strain is often felt more heavily at Christmas too and I think partnering with the Hope Pantry at church is one practical way we can be part of um, helping people in that and partnering with them in what Christ wants to bring about in their life of redemption and restoration. And isolation is a big problem at Christmas too. And one really practical thing you can do is invite someone to share Christmas with you, invite them around for dinner, invite them around for lunch, just run errands together, be around one another. 
Of course, we also need to be proactive about our own mental well-being with all this stuff because it can be heavy carrying one another's burdens. You need to get adequate sleep and have boundaries and be in community. So that brings me to our own suffering. And I've got a, another slide for this one, which you can look at while I take a drink. <laughs> So maybe it's actually you this Christmas that's feeling the pain or just reflecting on the year that's been and the things that you've had to feel and see and do and say. And maybe you're feeling a little bruised and battered, um, but I want to encourage you that Jesus can bring hope out of any and every situation. And I want to look at how we face up to pain and suffering by looking at a few time points throughout the ministry of Christ. So I've got... The first story up on this one. Perfect. So I read that out. Then Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And it continues on the next slide. Thank you. Uh, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What I take away from this is that when Jesus was confronted with trial, he relied on the word of God. He knew it inside out, and his whole identity was placed in the word of God. That's our first port of call. It's God's word to us. That is his greatest gift we are able to experience his presence in his word and know truth by his word. The next story tells, um, you can read it as it comes up, but it talks about when John the Baptist was beheaded, who was the cousin of Christ. Um, and it says there at the end, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This really stops me in my tracks every single time I read it because I can't imagine how significant this loss would be to Jesus. It's his cousin. He grew up with him. And John was maybe the one person who got the vision of what Christ was here to do as much as Christ did himself. John was there to prepare the way and proclaim the gospel before Jesus came. And to lose John would have been such a deep pain in Jesus' heart. It would have been so significant to him. And what Jesus does, as he often does throughout his life, is he goes away, he finds a quiet place, a place in nature. Often it says the wilderness or a desolate place. And he prays and he spends time with the Father. And I think that's what we need to do with our pain. And what he does next is something I think we can only do with the strength of Jesus in us is that when people come and interrupt his grief, he has compassion on them and is seeking to sow into them as well. And that genuinely just sums up Jesus, doesn't it? The heart of Christ, when he's struck down by his own loss, his own pain, so significant to him, and yet he sees people that need him and he has compassion on them. Christ has compassion on us when we are hurting. 
Then we've got the story, if you've read the story of Lazarus, um, he was sick and his sisters came to Jesus and said, please come heal him. And Jesus gets um, on the way to Lazarus. He comes across many people who need healing and speaking with and he interacts with each one of them and takes time for them. But in that time, Lazarus dies. And so it says here, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Um, we often talk about that verse, Jesus wept. Um, and maybe you, <laughs> you've had a moment where you felt like God arrived a little too late. Um, where were you, God? Where, where were you? I wanted you three days ago. <laughs> where were you at that moment? But know that Christ weeps for you. He sees our pain and his heart breaks. His body was broken on the cross because he weeps for you. And I think it's really important to see that Jesus feels those feelings of grief. He isn't some macho, stoic person who stuffs it all down. Even knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he saw the permanence that was perceived by others of death and he, he mourned it. He mourned the impact of death on the people he loved. Lastly, we've got the Garden of Gethsemane on the next slide. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is a moment of surrender for Christ. Looking at the ultimate pain before him, he surrenders. He says to God, it's not about what I want, it's about what you will do through this. And I think that is an incredibly powerful thing to know that God can use our suffering to bring about things. And, you know, people often say everything happens for a reason and that's not a, a saying I personally get around too much because I think to say that to someone in pain feels like, well... What reason is good enough for having lost this or gone through this? But I do think there's truth that God creates beauty from any ashes and he is constantly working in our lives. He is a God of redemption and resurrection power. So looking at Jesus, these are the things we can do. We can be in community and this is a beautiful space for that and I honour this church for the way that it creates a community for people to experience their pain there's been many a Sunday where I've reluctantly come because I've been thinking or feeling things that I just want to deal with alone. But this has been a space where someone has tenderly asked me, are you actually okay? And g given me a hug and prayed for me while I've cried it out. And just know that this is actually such a safe space to do that, to come and to let it all out. It's not a place of judgment. It's a place where people want to see the Lord of love be poured into your life. We can find comfort and strength in the word of God. Read it, memorise it, meditate on it, discuss it. 
like Peter says to Jesus, with you are the words of life, where else can I go? Pray, pour out your heart to God in prayer. If Jesus makes time to do this again and again in his ministry, how much more so do I need to do it? We need to feel our feelings. Even though unpleasant emotions are unpleasant, we often put them in in the bad box and say they're not good, but they can actually be really healing and healthy and redemptive to experience. If you're feeling pain, if you're feeling anger, if you're feeling grief, that usually indicates a loss of something that you loved and valued and was important to you. If we keep pushing everything under the rug, it eventually becomes a tripping hazard. And lastly, surrender it all to God. Say to him, not my will, but your will be done. All that said, we can sometimes find ourselves asking like Mary, where were you? Too little, too late. And I don't say that because that's the truth about God, but it is the truth that our emotions sometimes preaches to us. If you've ever been in a situation where you've said, God, where are you in my pain? Where are you right now? I'm hurting. What are you doing about it? I've been in that moment and in that moment, God directed my gaze to the cross and there was Christ in my pain, bleeding for me, broken for me, forsaken for me, taking my sin upon his head. That's where God is in your pain. He's dying for you. In my pain, he is the suffering saviour, the risen king, the loving father, almighty God, the spirit dwelling within that testifies to my adoption into the family of God. Where isn't he in our pain? And if that's you this morning, please know that he's dying for you in your pain. He wants to hold you and he wants to bind up your hurt. We know that Christ was always going to suffer for us. It's written in Isaiah 53, which I want to read out next, which is on the next slide. Thank you. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. (laughs) As Colin does say it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I wanted to talk about the physical suffering of Christ because this is really, this is what changes everything. Um, And studying physio, I decided to use up the medical databases I have access to and I looked up Jesus and I found this article um, by the Journal of American Medical Association and it's on the death of Jesus Christ by Edwards 1986 Um, and I want to read a little excerpt from it and if you're squeamish I'm sorry uh, but I think it is actually good to be confronted by what Christ suffered for us because it's what we deserved so it says this is talking about Jesus breathing on the cross. Um, Adequate exhalation required lifting the body by pushing up on the feet, flexing the elbows and adducting the shoulders. However, this manoeuvre would place the entire weight of the body on the feet and would produce searing pain. Furthermore, flexion of the elbows would cause rotation of the wrists about the iron nails and cause fiery pain along the damaged median nerves. Lifting of the body would also painfully scrape the scourged back against the rough wooden stipes. Muscle cramps and paresthesias of the outstretched and uplifted arms would add to the discomfort. 
As a result, each respiratory effort would become agonising and tiring and lead eventually to asphyxia. That's what Christ suffered for you and for me. But that's not actually even all of it. That's not even half of it. Because people following Christ after this were martyred and killed on crosses and they went praising God and shouting his name on high and worshipping him. So why is it that people who would be sacrificed and martyred in this way could go praising when our Christ went sweating blood? It's because he went through way more than just the cross, as horrible as that is. He had the wrath of God poured out onto him. He was forsaken. On the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's where Jesus is in our suffering. He is protecting us from the deepest pain that we never even have to know when we're hidden in Christ. We never need to know what it's like to be forsaken by God. We never need to know what it's like to be separated from the love of God because Christ went through that on our behalf. So in all respect for whatever you might have endured, I want you to bring that to mind and think about, you know, what have you been through that gives you a scope for what suffering feels like? And then to step back and realise that that actually pales in comparison to what Christ went through for you. And I don't mean that to say to reduce your suffering, but to magnify his. You have some scope of suffering, but there's not even a number in existence that we could multiply our suffering by to reach what Christ went for us. The wrath of God is something we don't have to imagine because it'll never be poured out on us anymore. So when you feel pain ricochet to the depths of you, know that Christ protects you from pain sending you to the depths. You never need know the depths of hell. The hope ahead for us does not compare to the suffering now in this broken world where children die, relationships fracture, wars are waged, people are sold, famine and poverty are rife. Your final destination is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. In our lives, we can mark out a lot of destinations. If I have this relationship, if I get this job, if I get that ATAR, if I have this friendship, if I do this and that and the other. They're beautiful things, but they're not a destination. Our destination is heaven. Heaven is our home. So I want to come back to Isaiah 53.5, which is on the last slide. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I could give you all the tips about how to suffer or how to help others in their suffering, but at the end of the day, your willpower will fail you, your inner strength will fail you, your self-care strategies will fail you, your friends, your family, your psychologists, they will fail you. The cross will never, ever fail you. Jesus dying for you is all we have. It is everything. And that is what transforms us. To behold Christ on the cross is to adore him. You can't look at what he's done and not be affected by that. So I want to spend a little bit of time coming back into worship together, um, if the band could jump up. And I want us to just adore Christ for what he's given us. I'm just going to pray to close. Father God, thank you that you were the one that sacrificed your son. Like Abraham staring over Isaac, you were the one that actually had to drive the dagger down. You poured out your wrath on Christ. You gave everything for us, Jesus. We are so thankful. Thank you that you've 
hidden us in the arms of the Father and that for the joy set before you, you scorned the shame of the cross and endured it for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you live within us and testify to the goodness of God. We pray that you continue to shape us after Christ's own heart. We worship you this morning and lift you high. Amen.